From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. It's a new year, and lawmakers across the country are gearing up again for high-profile fights over gun control legislation that could severely limit your Second Amendment rights. This makes it really important that we continue to emphasize the important role lawful gun owners play, not just as a long-term protection against tyrannical governments, but in immediate and regular defense against crime. Almost every major study in this has concluded that Americans use firearms in lawful defense of themselves and others between 500,000 and 3 million times every year. Yet, as we've pointed out on this podcast, these are not the stories that make their way to the national cable channels. Like this story, for example, out of Las Vegas. Well, Gerard, Metro officers on scene say that that suspect waited for hours before going inside the home. Officers say once he was inside, a woman shot and killed him, but police say she acted in self-defense. And I realized that something traumatic has happened in my neighborhood. As crime scene tape covered houses. And I thought, well, you know, what's going on? And multiple cop cars filled the streets. Oh my gosh, the whole street was full. Neighbors like Deb Scheidt say they still can't believe it. You never think, wow, this can happen in my neighborhood. Officers say the shooting happened this morning. A man attempted to burglarize a home but was shot by a woman inside. Uh, I heard a pop sound. Not too long later, I noticed that there was some crime tape that was being put up. Police are calling this self-defense. They say the suspect drove off with a flat front tire. Sterling Boyd, who lives a few houses down, saw it drive by. It kept going and they, they rounded the corner and uh, didn't think much of it. The suspect was pulled over, according to officers. He was taken to the hospital where he later died. Those next door say they're supporting their neighbor. She has my respect and, and my prayers. Somebody was in my backyard Well. I'd probably do the same thing that lady did. Over the course of 2019, Amy Swearer, a senior legal policy analyst in Heritage's Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, has been documenting several dozen examples of Americans relying on their Second Amendment rights to protect life, liberty, and property. Last year, we talked with Amy about some of those stories, and we're going to do it again in this episode. I should also note that since we sat down with Amy, she's been testifying all over the country about gun safety, mass shootings, and how to protect Americans while still protecting Second Amendment rights. Her recent testimony before the House Judiciary Committee went viral and currently has over 1 million views on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, you should, and we'll link to it in the show notes. One more thing before we get started. This episode contains audio clips of gun violence that could be upsetting to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Amy, every month last year, you brought readers' attention to several dozen examples of Americans relying on their Second Amendment rights. Why do you think it's so important to do this? So often, it seems to me like these conversations about gun policy, uh, they end up boiling down to Second Amendment advocates getting uh, either caricatured or um, you know, Second Amendment advocates tend to rely, as I think they, they rightfully should, on sort of 
the philosophy and the the statistics underlying, uh, you know, why we are for or against certain policies or in favor of a strong Second Amendment right. And while I think that's, that's important, um, it, it tends to dehumanize, I, I think, a lot of the the very real examples of this where it's, it's real people with real names and faces and, and stories to tell. And I think when you bring back that human component, when you know you, you get to sort of reclaim, you know, this is what a law-abiding gun owner is. This is the context in which they're they're using their guns in an appropriate manner. Um, I, I think it adds another element to that conversation. That uh, again, I, it, it feels like it gets lost so often in in the numbers, in, in important numbers. Um, but I, I feel like that that conversation needs that that depth that is just lacking right now. So. 2019 ended just as it began. This is the second time we've gone through this, but we're going to kind of roll through some of the more important instances this year, and there are plenty examples. Let's talk about some of these examples. To me, I think that the place really to start is almost one of the, one of the last days of the year, December 29th, down in White Settlement, Texas. Um, you know, this was a, a very high-profile instance of, of defensive gun use, but it's it's so powerful um, so you, you had what essentially would have been a, a mass shooting in a church um, during a church worship service uh, where you had an armed individual who was able to confront that shooter within six seconds um, and, and end that. Yeah, we have some audio of that that we'd like to play for our listeners. And again, as I warned everyone earlier, if you have little ears nearby, today's episode could be upsetting. So I just want to give you that warning up front. Amy, can you explain what we're about to hear but we can't see exactly? Sure. So this audio actually comes from a live stream of that church service. Um, so if you're looking at the video, you're actually seeing kind of like a, a bird's eye view of uh, a congregation, you know, a congregation you'd see every Sunday across the country, probably about two or 300 people um, sitting in pews, and they're just finishing up their communion portion of the service. So it's, um, for those of you who, who go to church regularly, you know, there's kind of a lull there sometimes as as um, the, the instruments used for communion are being put away, and they're sort of transitioning to the next portion of the service. Um, and you see in the back, um, in one of the last pews, an individual stand up and actually take out a shotgun that he had been concealing in kind of like a, a trench coat. Um, and this, of course, catches the attention of some some individuals in the back who also then stand up. Um, and what what you'll hear is, is three gunshots being fired. Um, but what you can't see is that the last shot is actually um, from someone I hope we get a chance to talk about more, a guy named Jack Wilson, um, who was armed that day, who, again, within six seconds was able to stand up and end that confrontation um, with actually an incredible shot from about 50 feet away. Um, so that's, that's the picture to, to paint for you sort of as you're, you're listening to this. Yeah, that's really difficult to listen to and even harder to watch. Amy, you said the gunman was actually able to kill two people? Yeah, so un- un- unfortunately, um, there, there were two deaths other than, than the gunman. Um, but again, you know, you, you're dealing with a situation where um, had he not been confronted as quickly as he was, there were well over 200, um, possibly up to 300 um, innocent people in this church service, um, in a, in a packed house of worship. Um, 
and and so it it is again it's it's very unfortunate um, and and I'm sure devastating for the community for those two lives that were lost. Um, but again, at the end of the day, what what you see here is the ability of a law-abiding citizen to stand up and to end that much more quickly than it would have otherwise ended. So ahead of our recording, you brought to my attention another attack on a church in Texas in 1980. Vice News did a piece on this attack, and we have some audio from their coverage that we'd like to share as well. In the small town of Dangerfield, Texas this morning, a heavily armed man dressed in army gear walked into a Baptist church, yelled, this is war, and opened fire on the congregation. really, it's actually really hard to listen to and not get emotional. Amy, what was it about this 1980s attack that made you think it was worth digging it back up? To me, it's really the striking similarity between, you know, again, just this sort of live stream, the, the audio, um, you know, for me, my, my dad's a pastor, um, you know, so you talk about getting emotional. This, this to me is, this, this is me every Sunday. You know, this is my dad. These are the people I grew up with. Um, that I, that I see in my mind, and what happened in that? We did we kind of glossed over that. It's not the same. No, no, no I, 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 absolutely. And and so um, to, to to bring that back, I, I mean, in Dangerfield in in 1980, you, you saw a very similar instance, um, and frankly, very similar to what you also saw in 2017 in, in Sutherland Springs. Um, of an individual who walks into a place of worship bent on killing innocent people while they worship God. Um, and so in, in, in that instance, you know, to, to me what was striking was that there wasn't anybody armed in that church. Um, and I think ultimately there were five deaths, 10 or 12 uh, very serious injuries. Um, but that individual uh, in 1980 was stopped because uh, several members of the church essentially jumped on him. This is a guy who had uh, a semi-automatic rifle with bayonets uh, a- attached to it. Um, so you can imagine sort of the carnage there and the danger um, that those uh, congregants put themselves in by, by uh, as, as unarmed congregants just jumping on this individual. Um, and to me, it was striking sort of how different the endings were while still being very similar because ultimately the, the guy was subdued. Um, but the ability of Jack Wilson... Um, in this this later instance, this instance from December 29th, to stand up from 50 feet away and to be able to end that threat without putting himself or anybody else in more danger. Um, you know, t- to me, sort of seeing how this congregation um, in, in White Settlement had sort of learned from these past instances to say, no, we're, we're not going to we're not going to leave our, our people sort of unshepherded, unguarded, if you will, from, from any would-be wolves that, that want to stand up and harm them during a worship service. Um, you know, so, so you see even starting back in 1980, that's where you start seeing the development, especially in Texas, of wanting armed church security, of, of wanting to protect people while they worship. Um, and, of course, it really caught on, I think, after 2017 in, in Sutherland Springs. Um, and and that, that ultimately is, is why Jack Wilson was armed that day. Um, is because you had, again, just churches looking at, at history, saying this is a thing that people have done in the past to try to harm people during yeah. church services. And, and we are not going to allow, we're going to give our parishioners the ability to fight back. 
You've stressed in your writing that from a purely statistical standpoint, these two events we just highlighted are actually really rare events. And when we're talking about just the more general numbers of defensive gun uses, so not necessarily stopping a would-be mass shooter, but for example, someone who's breaking into your house, there are way more of those. Let's talk about some of those instances you documented this year. Um, so what comes to mind, uh, for example, there, there's an instance, um, October 11th in Yuba County, California. Um, so if you remember uh, during October, there were a lot of wildfires, um, lots of evacuations happening in this area of California. Um, and so you had a homeowner whose family was asleep upstairs. They're in a neighborhood that, you know, it had just come back from mandatory evacuations. A lot of people were still evacuated. Their power had been out, um, I think, for several days at this point. Um, so some nearby families had generators. Um, they had turned their generator off for the night. And a would-be burglar, um, you know, looks at this uh, this situation. You know, a lot of people abandoning their homes. The power's off. Looks at this and says, you know what, this is a great target for me as a criminal. Um, and so breaks into this house thinking that it's abandoned. Um, but it's not. It's, you know, the law-abiding citizen with their family sleeping upstairs um, and unfortunately he gets into a confrontation with this criminal and, and ends up having to defend himself and his family um, in a place that, again, is evacuated. There's not really police in this near vicinity um, and, and ends up having to rely on his Second Amendment rights to defend himself against the, you know, just the, the type of person who would take advantage of this horrible situation to, to try to steal things. Right. I want to take a moment to just drop in a quick suggestion for our listeners right now. If you like what you're hearing, you should subscribe to Heritage's weekly email called The Agenda. Every Monday morning, we give you the conservative perspective, along with television interviews from our experts like Amy, on issues like the ones we're talking about right now, as well as important events happening at the Heritage Foundation. You can sign up by emailing managingeditor at heritage.org or scroll down to the bottom of heritage.org and look for the subscribe to email updates section at the bottom of the page. Okay, now back to our conversation. Continuing on just later to that month, October 30th in, in Tampa, Florida, um, this was actually one that did make the, the national news um, to a lesser extent than I think we saw with Jack Wilson, but just an incredible story. Um, so you had two armed men who broke into this home of a young family and start severely beating the father, still unclear why, um, but start beating the father, threatening the 11-year-old daughter uh, with those firearms. Uh, and the man's wife, who is eight months pregnant, um, so very, very pregnant, hears what's going on, realizes that, that something very bad is happening, and grabs her husband's AR-15 in another part of the house. Um, and keep in mind, again, very, very pregnant, yeah. uh, walks out with this AR-15. All she has to do is fire one shot, one shot at these two armed criminals, um, one, of, one, one of whom is shot. Um, and the other goes, I am not messing with this, uh, and, and flees the house. Uh, and so this, this woman who you'd otherwise think is, is very vulnerable, very much at risk, not able to defend herself, probably much less others, because of the overwhelming force, you know, that, that balance of power that she's given back with that AR-15. She's able to scare off, you know, two, two people who otherwise felt very secure breaking into a family's home and, and you know, threatening them with violence. Um, so just an incredible story um, out of Tampa, Florida. You say that was nationally covered? I didn't hear about it. So. Right. 
Yeah. By, by nationally covered, I mean, yeah. it, it may have gotten, you know, like a 30 second blurb. Exactly. Um, and, and that's it. So if, if you missed it, you were never going to find it. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to November. Um, so we hear all the time about, oh, you know, women, uh, you know, women are uh, the, mo- the ones most impacted by, by gun violence, which isn't true outside of a domestic violence context. But inside of a domestic violence context, um, you know, I, I think it's important to look at the reality of women being able to fight back uh, against would-be attackers. Um, so on November 28th, out of McCleary, McCleary, Washington, you had a woman who already had a domestic violence protection order out against her estranged husband. Um, but keep in mind, that's that's just a piece of paper. That doesn't forcibly stop anyone bent on harming you. Um, and so she is staying at a friend's house. And her estranged husband breaks in with a knife, uh, bent on on attacking her and, and this friend she's staying with. And that woman was able to use her firearm to defend herself and her friend, ultimately shooting and, and killing this individual who was, again, ignoring a protection order that was already in place that, that he was willing to ignore. And then just two days later, out of Ellenwood, Georgia, um, I I love this story. This is, this is probably one of my favorite, for me, one of the most memorable out of the year. Um, so you had a delivery man, delivery man who uh, was unloading his truck. I think he was delivering bread to a Hardee's restaurant. Um, you know, just just doing his thing, unloading his bread, and a couple employees come running out of the store screaming, um, essentially saying, "There's a guy in there robbing us." This employee, or sorry, this delivery man. Keep in mind, like his, his job is just to deliver the bread and just get back in his truck the and bread get out of and get out of there. Yeah, he gets into his truck, grabs his his firearm from his truck. You know that he's presumably using for for self defense for his own. He runs into the store to confront um, this guy who's who's terrorizing employees in the store, um, and and ends up being able to to shoot and, and send this guy fleeing. Um, you know, sends the attacker fleeing. Uh, you know, thank goodness the attacker is, is ultimately uh, captured by law enforcement. Um, but he was able to to save, you know, people who were being That's genuinely awesome. threatened. Um, and it gets better because the local sheriff's department actually ends up putting this guy, they, they had what they call the Posse Hall of Fame. So they honor this guy uh, as a law-abiding citizen by, by putting his picture in their, their posse hall of fame to be like, yeah, this so is cool. our hall of fame for law-abiding yeah. citizens uh, protecting How other brave, people. How brave, too. Oh, absolutely. You know, because it wasn't him himself being threatened. Mm-hmm. It was him seeing that other people were in fear for their life and being able to step into that situation with that poison, with that courage. It's such a good balance there of good and evil, that the evil exists, but, you know, the the bread delivery man... Who knows what he has inside him to jump in and save the day. Right. Absolutely. So in conclusion, kind of a year end, what do you think is the most important lesson we can draw from some of these examples? So I'd say there are actually two. Um, for me, I, th- I think the, the biggest example uh, of what I'm about to say actually comes from, from Jack Wilson in the White Settlement shooting. Um, if you're a law-abiding gun owner, um, you know, again, you, you hope you're never going to have to use your gun in, in defense of yourself or others. I mean, that, that would be the preferred course, right? I, I'm never in danger of, of my life. The lives of other people are never in danger around me. Um, but if you are a law-abiding gun owner, be, because you never know when that's going to happen, um, you know, when you're going to be called upon or what type of shot you're going to have to make, that, that you should be well-trained with your firearms. You know, you should be confident in your ability to, to handle that 
Um, you know, you should think through these scenarios so that, you know, that the first time you have to think through it isn't when you're being actively confronted by it. And I think you saw that with the poise of Jack Wilson, um, you know, his his command of the situation. So I think, um, you know, that to me is, is the, the biggest point is you don't know when this is going to happen. Be prepared for it. Um, the second, I think, uh, is that we need to keep telling these stories because so many people don't hear them. They don't hear them on the local news. They don't hear them on the national news. Um, but they are happening. And I think it'd shock people you know, in their own neighborhoods. Um, the types of people in the types of neighborhoods, these are not you know, would-be Rambos going out there, these, these vigilantes trying to, um, you know, itching for a fight, trying to take down bad guys. These are, these are eight-month pregnant women. Um, these are 19-year-old kids living alone on their own. It's, it's single women and domestic violence victims. And we need to keep telling their stories uh, because if we don't, they get caricatured as something that they're not. And it loses an aspect, a very human aspect of this conversation. Uh, and so I know on our end, um, we certainly uh, will continue telling these stories. And I think and I hope that everyone else will continue telling them as well. Thank you for documenting them. And, and I know that Heritage Explains will continue to have you on so we can keep sharing them with our listeners. And that's it for this week's episode. You can find Amy's recent op-ed with these stories, as well as all the links to all of her reporting throughout the year in our show notes. We're looking for new topics for Heritage Explains, and we would love to hear from you. Email us at managingeditor at heritage.org, and your topic could be featured on the podcast. Tim will be back with a new episode next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.